What's up, y'all a little faith, and welcome to episode number three of the Fagnostic Podcast. I am your host, Matt Hayes, and if I'm still recording episodes, it means that I am still looking for answers. And today, I am lucky enough to have arguably one of the most relevant and well-known voices in the entire Jewish faith. Rabbi Denise L. Ager served as the first openly gay or lesbian person as past president of the Central Conference of American Rabbis. She's the founding rabbi of Congregation Kolami in West Hollywood, California. She was also the first woman ever elected as president of the Southern California Board of Rabbis, which includes Reform, Conservative, Reconstructionist, and Orthodox rabbis. Rabbi Eger is the editor of the groundbreaking book, Mishkan Ga'ava, Where Pride Dwells, a celebration of LGBTQ Jewish life and ritual, and is also the co-editor of Gender and Religious Leadership, Women Rabbis, Pastors, and Ministers. More information on these two books can be found online. Eger was named as one of the 50 most influential Jews by Forward and one of the 50 most influential women rabbis. I told y'all she was the real deal. Huffington Post named her as the number one LGBT clergy person in America. Most recently recognized and awarded for her activism by the City of Los Angeles, the HRC, the City of West Hollywood, the California State Senate, and State Assembly. Rabbi Eger coaches nonprofit executives and clergy through her company, Resilient Strategies. Raised in Memphis, Tennessee, Rabbi Eger graduated with honors from the University of Southern California with a bachelor's degree in religion in 1982. She received her master's and doctor of divinity from Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion. And as if she doesn't have enough credentials, Rabbi Eger is also a senior rabbinic fellow of the Shalom Hartman Institute in Jerusalem. I am so excited for you to hear this conversation on queer faith with Rabbi Eger. Rabbi Denise Eger, I am so thrilled to have you on this show, episode three of the Fagnostic Podcast. We met a little over a year, maybe a year and a half ago, actually, now, um, it was at the top of the pandemic that we did the radio show here in LA. Um, and I was introduced to you by another friend of mine at the Methodist Church. Um, and I was so glad that she brought your name to my life because I have been so impacted by your message and your influence um, as it relates to not just your faith, but your interfaith efforts as well. Um, and we're going to talk about all those things today. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. I sort of episode off with a question. Are you a believer? Well, first, thanks, Matt, for having me back. I'm excited to talk with you and visit with you today. I am a believer in the transformative power of love and kindness in the world. And that, to me, is part of what is what I call God. That is my kind of God. Yes. Um, and then what are your pronouns, just so that we don't assume anything? I'm a, My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm a proud lesbian. And just for my listeners, in case they don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm Rabbi Denise Eger. I'm the founding rabbi of Congregation Kolami, which is West Hollywood's Reformed Synagogue. Uh, we were founded uh, in 1993 by a group of 35 queer people and have grown and thrived. We're over uh, 300 households. And um, I have been the rabbi all, all, almost, uh, all, we're entering our 29th year, getting ready for our 30th celebration soon. Um, I am, um, I have served uh, uh, as, I'm a past president and the first openly gay or lesbian person to have served as the head rabbi of all the reform rabbis in the world, the Central Conference of American Rabbis. And I did that from 2015 to 2017. And I'm a longtime queer activist, a longtime women's activist for women's issues uh, for, for, and for human rights. Yes, you are. And you've done a lot for the HIV and AIDS community as well, right? I have. You know, I still run a support group monthly for uh, those with HIV who are HIV positive. I've done it for all these 30 years. I I became a rabbi in the my career, I guess, if you will, has been marked by two pandemics. Um, you know, I, I became a rabbi in the late 80s uh, during the height of the AIDS crisis before there were drugs and treatments um, in, in Los Angeles in 1988. Um, and, uh, you know, this part, I'm almost more than 33 years later, I'm still, we're still in the midst of another pandemic. But I've continued to serve people with HIV and AIDS all of this time and to be an advocate for people with HIV and AIDS as well. 
Um, and, um, you know, I've written a couple books along the way uh, about women's issues in the clergy. And then, of course, uh, Mishkan Ga'ava, Where Pride Dwells. It's a book of celebration of rituals, uh, essays and meditations for LGBTQ Jews and their family members. And there's a lot for me if you're just a spiritual person and not necessarily Jewish. So. Yeah. And even, I mean, as, as a non-Jew, I, I'm, I was telling you earlier, I'm so encouraged after every, every passage that I read in here. Um, a couple that I love, I, I just want to point out, is the Passover liberation um, after you, and it's after your LGBTQ Passover theology. But you talk about, um, and I'm going to mispronounce this, so I need you to correct me. But yep. the, um, the Mignut Leshevak, the um, the from degradation to praise. Yeah, I yes, Mignut Leshevak. These are Hebrew words yes. from the from from the Passover Seder meal, uh, where we read and reenact through ritual foods the story of the liberation of the Israelite, ancient Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And that story of liberation, uh, you know, resonates, of course, in our own queer world of uh, our coming out and our being free to be who we are. And um, so we've taken in this in this book, Where Pride Dwells, uh, some, some special readings that we've created for a Passover Seder uh, for LGBTQ people to use at their Seder or for a queer Seder in a public setting. Uh, that are really talking about linking this notion of freedom and liberty and liberation to be ourselves and to be who we're called to be as queer people, just as the ancient Israelites were able to do as well. Yeah. And I think that's why I, I am so drawn to Judaism. Even I mean, I grew up in Alabama as a Southern Baptist. I didn't know a single gay person in, or a single, well, that too. I didn't know a single Jewish person until middle school, my, high, my middle school band director. Um, he actually ended up moving to Israel right before the millennium. And so I never met another Jewish person until college. Um, but even knowing what I knew about the Jewish faith, I was drawn to the struggle. And I don't know if that's because I felt I was in my own struggle. And it was nice to know that there was another community, even though I was not a part of that community, that was dealing with being told, you know, that they're, you know, you're not right. You're not, you know, one of us. It just seemed like there was a common out that I, it almost felt more at home there than it did in my own community. You know what I mean? It's a very interesting observation, Matt. Listen, today, uh, the Jewish people, you know, Jewish people have been the other throughout centuries for millennia and have been persecuted. Uh, Anti-Semitism is not something that's new. It's ancient, ancient. Um, you know, first it was the Greeks that came uh, and, and conquered the, the Jewish people, and then it was the Romans, and then it became the Christian Empire, uh, and the church did terrible things to Jews uh, in the wow. ancient world. Um, you know, for, we were not allowed in certain professions. And even in our own country, Jews were not allowed to be landowners, uh, not allowed to live in certain neighborhoods. Even in our own city, we're located here, West Hollywood, the county of Los Angeles, City of Los Angeles, there are still neighborhoods. If you go back and you buy a home and you look at the what they call the covenants and restrictions, where the things that excluded black people from buying in certain neighborhoods, it said there were you couldn't sell a house to a Jewish person in certain neighborhoods, even in Los Angeles, even in the 20th century. So um, there were quotas in colleges and hospitals that didn't hire Jewish doctors. Um, Jews have been the other because we didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, Jesus might be an important teacher and role model in Christianity, but Judaism is older than that. And, yeah. and we do not believe that he was or is the Messiah um, or son of God. And so we've been persecuted and Jews perceive themselves as other. And the interesting thing, and I'll just say this in closing about that, is that the word Yisrael, which is how Jews the people of Israel, not the modern state of Israel, that's a, another story altogether, but the Jewish people's name means struggling to wrestle with God. There's a story in the Bible of the ancient patriarch Jacob uh, wrestling in night with an angel of God. And uh, it's the night before he's supposed to reconcile with his brother. Uh, and Jacob and Esau were twins. And, um, and so this struggling and this wrestling with God, if you will, has become the metaphor for what it means to be Jewish. Uh, we question, we question, we question God, we question authority, we question each other, and we struggle with trying to understand the world and trying to understand what makes life uh, meaningful and what God wants from us. It's so interesting because I, I've told you how I, I love to celebrate the Jewish holidays with my best friend Daniel's family. And Passover is one of my favorite times of the year because I get to go and ask these questions and they love me being there because 
I think, you know, they have asked enough questions throughout the years. They know their stuff. But when this big old Gentile comes in to the table, they're like, oh, let's get ready. Let's get out the books. But that's that's part of the Jewish Jewish tradition is based upon asking questions. And and our tradition is, is that we ask questions. We ask serious questions about faith and about God. And we get angry at God and we question God. Uh, we don't take everything that's written just as face value and that you can't ask questions. And the whole Passover meal, to go back to that idea of liberation, is based upon four questions. The youngest child begins the whole ceremony at the table by asking four questions. You know, why is this night different from all other nights? Mm -hmm. So the whole framework of the Passover Seder is about asking questions, hard questions, serious yep. questions, as a way to learn, to explore, and to perhaps bring new meaning. Not just perhaps, but like, let's, let's just trust that that meaning is going to be revealed to us well when we and so it's so interesting that we have a saying in 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 jewish teachings that says in every generation each person is to imagine that he or she or they came out of egypt mm -hmm. and what that really means is not only is this story your story where whatever generation you live in whatever time period you live in but it also means that you have to make it relevant in your time yeah what's the story in your time frame so um, making making religion contemporary, making it current to the struggle that you're going through is critically important in Judaism. Yes. And specifically, since this is a, a queer themed podcast, um, that struggle is, is even more so when you have a, a religion that sometimes tells you you can't be a part of this religion because of the way that you are. And you've really forged the way in helping the, the reformed Jewish community learn how to to love and accept us um and and so you came out if i'm not mistaken in 1990 at the end of or at the in the middle of the ace of epidemic yeah right and, and so yes when i was ordained in and seminary at the hebrew union college jewish institute of religion which is the oldest jewish learning seminary in north america from the mid 1800s um you could not be openly gay and be ordained so we were all closeted and we had a private support group that I started underground that where the gay students would would meet to be supportive. We were worried about being outed. We were worried about being denied ordination. And um, I in 1990, my denomination of Reform Judaism was was really debating this issue of ordination for queer people. And um, I came out in the LA Times as because it, we needed we need a face. It, this isn't just a theoretical discussion. And so um, uh, it, it, did, it got picked up by all the wire services because it was pretty big news. I'm not the first openly gay or lesbian person to be a rabbi, but one of the, one of the first few. Um, and, and so uh, it actually gave a face and a name to the struggle. Yeah. And we were successful uh, in 1990 in my denomination. Uh, we'd already welcomed gay people as members and gay synagogues into our denomination as early as 1970 too. Uh, but to be the spiritual leaders was a different story. And so we were successful in that. Just as we were successful um, in 96 to get our denomination to endorse civil marriage. And in 2000, I wrote the resolution and carried the water, if you will, to um, also bless officiation of rabbis at uh, queer weddings and commitment ceremonies. Um, you know, we were just in the middle of the beginning of the real efforts on marriage equality in in 2000. And so um, I've con that was in Reform Judaism. I, cons I was the cons a consultant in Conservative Judaism in 2006 to their process. And today, um, in most of North American Jewry, Reform, Conservative, Reconstructionist, uh, uh, you know, LGBTQ people are leaders both lay leaders and religious leaders and are fully welcomed into the tradition. The Orthodox world, a little different. That's our Jewish fundamentalists, like Christian fundamentalists, but there are pockets of welcoming even within the Orthodox Jewish world, starting slowly, slowly. Um, I did not um, know any here. Yeah, so there are small pockets where you could you could be a member of a synagogue without being shunned or without being forced out there. Uh, so it's it's a it's a beginning process in those in those corners. I imagine you know some of those pockets. So is that from having a, a queer son or daughter that you're witnessing go through the, the trials and 
Yes, and, it's, and, and it is. It's from witnessing family members who are transitioning from gender, who who are who uh, who are coming out as as gay, gay uh, that that and seeing what also in the rest of Judaism, the way in which we've held up the tradition on the one hand, um, the emphasis on inclusion and opening the tent on the other. Um, you know, the Jewish people is really small. The new Pew study in 2020, we're less than 2% of the American, 2.4% uh, of the American population. Uh, and worldwide, um, you know, the Holocaust murdered 6 million Jews. Um, we, are, we, are, we are barely 14 million total worldwide now. Wow. Uh, we've never replaced the number of Jews who were murdered by the Nazis uh, in, in during World War II. So um, this is this we are small, small, I like to say small but mighty people. And so we we have to figure out ways to support one another. And um, I've, I've been so honored and proud to to push the envelope to talk about how LGBTQ people are a part of the Jewish story and part of the Jewish family and always been through, been so, as well as to say the, that Jew, that young queer Jews have a place and are making the table in the Jewish community. I was going to say, I love that idea of not just having a place, but making the table. They That's are. The, the queer Jewish community is uh, young, particularly our young people are doing incredible things, really pushing again uh, on gender nonconforming issues and not non binary uh, trans issues. Uh, exactly. Uh, we're, we're, we're filming this uh, uh, together. I guess filming is not the right way. We're recording this. Uh, just before Pride Month begins, and our Pride Month kicks off uh, with a, one of our young queer trans activists tonight in our Sabbath services, who's speaking about her journey uh, and her transition and um, the the importance of um, trans activism in the Jewish community. And uh, we'll be celebrating Pride all month at Congregation Kolami with Pride services and an online Pride brunch with stories of people through different generations of their coming out stories from their 80s to their teenage years, you know, wow. uh, teenagers talking about co how coming out is the same or different as it was from 1950s to, 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 to now yeah. uh, and, and, and affirming those stories. I love that there's such a space for that in the Reformed Jewish church, that you, there's such a space for those questions, for the struggles, for the acceptance, for the for not just for our community, but for the people who maybe don't accept us at first, even they in the Reform Judaism allow that space to say, okay, but what if, what if I open my heart? What if I open my mind? And, and what if I do the real study of what the Bible really says? Yes. Let, let's be honest. The Bible has been used to abuse LGBT people for centuries. About. <laughs> and, and, and most of it is a complete misreading and misunderstanding, particularly by Christian evangelicals, let's be honest, uh, who's doing the most harm and damage here. Um, they, they, don't, they don't read the Hebrew. They don't understand. The Bible was not given in English. Let's be clear. The, you know, if, if, we, if we're believers um, and, and, we, and we believe that the Bible, the five books of Moses, the Torah um, has any kind of authority or any kind of inspiration, I'll, I'll like to use that word rather than authority, um, you know, you have to understand the A, the historical context, the grammatical context of the Hebrew, um, and some of the passages that we see hurled at queer people and have used to abuse us um, actually isn't what it says in the Hebrew. Right. And so for I want to just take a look at the, let's look, just, could we have two minutes to just talk about one of those stories? Yeah. So the story that's often used is the story of Noah. If people are familiar with the story of Noah and the flood, the world was a wicked place and God decided the creation that God had made was needed to start over. But there was one righteous person in the world, Noah and his family. And he told God told Noah to build this boat, an ark, and bring the animals two by two. And then it flood, rained for 40 days and 40 nights. The, the bad people were wiped out and Noah, the world was going to be recreated by Noah and the animals and their Noah's family. Well, Noah, and of course, this is an important queer story. Why? Because what was the symbol at the end of the Noah story? The rainbow was a covenant that God made with humanity, all of humanity, never to destroy the earth by flood again. Now, at the end of the story is a really funny thing. What happened after they came out of the boat, right? 
says Noah planted a vineyard and Noah's sons and families started to live. And of course, one night Noah got drunk on the grapes in the vineyard and uh, one of his sons came into him. And the implication in the story is that there was something sexual misconduct happened between Noah and his son. And uh, to the two others, there were three sons and two, two other sons come in and they says, cover up the nakedness of their father, which meant not to brush it under the rug, but to take to, to take care of their father, to sober him up, and to hold him accountable. So many times Christian evangelicals use this and say, see, this is proof. This is proof that homosexuality is bad. This is not a story about homosexuality. This is a story about the problems of incest, sexual abuse of parent between parents and children. And so in, in, in the queer community, we hold such trauma by our churches who have used the Bible to harm us. And we have to learn, and I understand people who say, I'm never setting foot in church. I'm never setting foot in a synagogue again. This is just not right. But it's it's been misused. And my heart breaks because religion at its best should be a spiritual structure for dealing with ethics and living a life of meaning. And if your religion is not helping you do that, you should walk away. Yeah, no, you're so right. So what but, you from walking away then, Rabbi, because, I mean, obviously the, the fruits of your labor, uh, you saw the fruits of your labor and your faith paid off. But I mean, in the, in the 80s, when you're working with these communities who are dying at, and, you know, at the hands of a lot of evangelical Christians who just refuse to accept the reality, what kept you up having faith in God to, to, to know that your voice would be used to impact millions? Well, see, in Judaism, God is God is not this terrible God that, that punishes us. In Judaism, we, the word for prayer in Judaism is about self-judgment, hmm. not God judging you. So when you pray, you are examining your own actions, behaviors, um, words for how you can be better. And, and so I, my, my God is a God of love and presence that God walks with me in the darkest moments, moments, walk through the valley of the shadow of death with me, as well as in the moments of great triumph and joy. And so for me, the, my notion of what an idea of God, I don't believe in a being, Matt. I don't think there's some God sitting in a throne, some old dude with a beard. Uh, my God is more of a force of love that flows through all humanity and flows through all life, plants and animals. And that that is a force for goodness in the world and kindness in the world. Yeah. So when I, you know, when I, when I, when I was sitting by the bedside of my friends who were dying of AIDS, my presence was be, I was being an agent, angel, if you will, of God, of, of, of being present so that loneliness and suffering didn't happen in isolation. And that I think is, you know, human beings are so social. That's what made the pandemic so hard is we've had, we've had to be physically distant and physically isolated from one another. We long to be with one another and to celebrate that joy in being with one another. And so that, 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 Judaism says wherever two people study, there God dwells. Mm -hmm. And so it, whether it's the study of an ancient text like the Torah or the Bible, or it's conversing and learning about your neighbor, yep. that holy presence is there. And yep. I think that's what we're, we're striving to do in the world is to be present with one another, to listen to one another, to respect one another, to love one another. And, um, but did you ever struggle? I mean, in those early days of, of before oh. you came out, before uh, to even think, is there a God? Is the Jewish God real? Oh, absolutely. I struggle all the time. I still struggle. It's not just isolated to back then. There are some days I look at the world and I say, what, what is going on? How can, how can there be a God when the children are suffering, when the homeless are so filled on our streets? Mm -hmm. um, and then I remember that I, you know, God lives up. Maybe God's somewhere else and I'm here. And so what's my mission to help alleviate that suffering? And I, and I think I bring a little bit of God into the world when I do help to alleviate that suffering. You do. You really do. And that's one thing. But not just me. You do too, right. Matt. Well, you do too. We all have the power to do this. This isn't something that's 
holier than thou. This isn't something that's only for people who are ministers or rabbis or deacons or elders or monks in their tradition or imams. You know, this is this is something that is part of the humanity. When we help alleviate the suffering of another human being, yeah. we bring a sense of holiness and dignity into their lives and our own. You're so correct. And our own. It's and, and in my own struggle with agnosticism, you know, slash atheism, I really where I am seeing the divine and because I hate calling it God because I, I I do too. I, I know I call it I agree too. I have struggle with that too. Yeah. And especially like I even get I mean, in my trailer for this show, I talk about how people, when they gender God as a he, it just makes my skin crawl. But that divine, I only see it in people. But the other side of that coin is that I also see the devil in only people. Mm -hmm. Whatever the devil is, I see the opposite of God, the lack of that holiness. And so that's, well, if if we're all the same, how can we represent, I mean, I don't see a binary between good and evil, because I think there's both in all of us, but like, it's just so confusing. Listen, so we're imperfect. Yeah. Human beings are not perfect. And my tradition recognizes that human beings have imperfections. And we're not trying to be perfect. We're just trying to be better each day, mm-hmm. a little better each day. And some days you're going to miss the mark and some days you're going to make the mark. But to I know that many people, especially queer people, uh, think of themselves in some way that because they were shamed about being queer, uh, they they were um, kicked out from their families. Um, I, I that that somehow they will never measure up. And I, I just want to say to all your listeners, you are perfect in the way that you are, even with your imperfections. Yeah. Your perfection is your imperfections. And each day strive to do one little step towards healing yourself and healing the world. And that is the way we bring the love of the divine into it. You're so right. And I think it starts with healing ourselves because I don't think that we can have that impact on others until we, it's like the airplane method of putting your own mask first so that you can then help other people. We, and we have to do that for ourselves first. And, and this, is, this is an urgent issue within our queer community. Um, the healing our traumas, heal, no one's going to do it for us. Healing our anger, you know, anger isn't always the actual emotion. There's plenty of time for righteous anger, you know, with all the homeless on the streets, for the way our trans uh, family members are being treated and the and the, the the attacks that are coming at them politically in in so many states around our country to take away rights for our trans folks. This this is where your righteous anger should be put to use. Yeah. But anger is often a um, the first symptom of deeper losses, trauma, and grief. And we do have a lot to be sad about, a lot, a lot to mourn, a lot of losses to mourn. And um, unfortunately, in American society, we don't deal with grief very well. And we don't mourn our losses. And so um, one of the things that's why I am so dedicated, particularly around World AIDS Day or Transgender Day of Remembrance in particular, uh, we have a uh, we always have special uh, services in my community for for this, particularly those days, is because we do have to acknowledge our losses um, as a community and to mourn them and grieve them. That's a step towards healing ourselves and our larger community, uh, and that's how we can grow, and yeah. that's how we can that's how we can put together the pieces, if you will, um, for one another. Yeah, you're so right. Um, one of the things I love about you is that you have a commentary on Christianity without having a judgment. You have such a grace for this, for, for my upbringing, my tradition, um, that I don't even have my own upbringing and tradition. But like that, you know, the concept of heaven and hell is used so, so intentionally to keep people in line or to make people behave better. Um, what is what is the Reformed Jewish faith's take on heaven versus hell? Um, or even the existence of, of both or either. Well, Judaism doesn't matter just reform Judaism. Judaism does not have heaven and hell. We don't have places that you're sent or a purgatory that you're go- going to uh, where some judgment's going to be rendered. At the end of your life, you'll have to answer for your actions, good or bad. Uh, do you make amends to people 
when you need to. You know, we have a day of atonement every year called Yom Kippur. Uh, it comes in the fall, usually around September. Um, it's part of our Jewish New Year's observances, a day of fasting and a day of introspection and prayer. And you're, part of that process is you're supposed to make amends to people. Those of us that are, who are familiar with the 12-step programs knows that making amends is a critical part of the healing of being sober and being in recovery as well. And there's a reason for that. Um, and so, um, you know, this is, that's part of the word, mentioned the word grace, making amends is part of the grace we grant ourselves, uh, to also not just be forgiven, but to forgive ourselves for the things that we have done in our life that don't measure up ethically, that don't measure up morally. Um, but we're not damned to hell for those. Uh, in Jewish tradition, there are only three unforgivable acts, murder in the first degree, premeditated murder, because that person can never grant forgiveness. Mm. Incest, sexual abuse, which is again back to the Noah story that we talked about earlier, because it's so traumatizing to sexually abuse children, it's violence of the first degree. And in our tradition, it's idol worship, of mm. worshiping false gods, which you know, in the ancient world was, you know, statues uh, of stone and wood. And in our day might be just as much money or fame or so chasing celebrity. Yeah. Um, so these are, these are serious and powerful questions. Right. But, but what, what is the, the, the result of, of committing one of those unforgivable acts in the Jewish faith? Yeah. Well, um, it, depending on the time period in which you are, there is there is a process to to work for, but there is you know you have to you you go to jail. There's a legal system within Jewish tradition, um, and you have to serve your time. Yeah, wow, that's so interesting. I don't think I knew that there's not a heaven versus hell. Scenario. We don't have a we don't have a heaven and hell, um, and so that has to be. Uh, um, where you're punished for all time and there's no way to 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 step back into to life into living um you know we, we sometimes will say you make your hell on earth by the choices that you make yeah, uh, yeah. but that's more euphemistic than saying that there is there was there isn't one in our theology right uh, if, so i i think i think for most i think i think you know, Americans in general, North Americans, those in Western civilization who, where Christianity is the dominant religion, um, you know, we kind of think these things are general to all faiths, and it's just it's just not true, in particular in Judaism, and you know, so much of Christianity, um, there there are good Christians, there are people who live their faith, there are there's there's segments of the Christian world that are welcoming and loving of LGBTQ people. There are LGBTQ leaders in a variety of Christian faiths. You know, I think of my friend, Reverend Susan Russell, who's, uh, who's uh, Reverend Canon Russell here in the Episcopal Church in, in the Los Angeles area, Bishop Karen Olavito, who is a bishop in the Methodist Church, an openly gay bishop, lesbian bishop. Um, I, I think of Reverend Troy Perry, who founded the United Fellowship of Metropolitan Community Churches. You know, there are many LGBTQ leaders within Christian denominations who have led the way and who have transformed their faith communities as well. And um, and also in non-Christian faiths, in, in Buddhism, in Islam, there are uh, Muslims for Progressive Values, my good friend Ani Zonerveld, yes, who, has, who has really transformed um, so many people and is, is helping Islam go through a reformation to understanding uh, the role of women and the role of LGBTQ people. I think what's happened is, is that the patriarchy um, which does harm to women and trying to control our bodies. Um, we see that now with an, a, a, a vociferous attack on the right uh, to uh, for abortion rights in this country, reproductive justice in this country, uh, as the Supreme Court's going to take yet another case that might do away with Roe v. Wade, um, the control of women's bodies. This is not good for gay people either, queer people either. Uh, it's not good for gay men. I want to say this. Uh, the patriarchy is not good for gay men because it's those set, that same patriarchy that wants to control who you love and how you love. And um, so I challenge this to my, particularly to my gay brothers um, who um, can sometimes get a pass for being men in society that favors men. Um, think about your female and non-binary and gender non-conforming and trans uh, brothers and sisters because we don't get a pass 
and the patriarchy is not good for our queer community. And so one of the things that I've I, I've done is 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 smash the patriarchy where it's necessary, both as a woman leader, a woman religious leader, and as a lesbian uh, who uses she, her, hers pronouns. Can you, because you educated me a little bit ago before we started recording about um, even referencing yourself, and I found that so in, informative. Can you, because can, can you talk sure, about? Uh, here's a, here's a, here's a perfect example how this plays how this exact issue of patriarchy plays itself out. I have been a rabbi for thirty three years. And I have uh, been an as I uh, I've been the president of all the Reform Rabbis worldwide. That's the oldest and largest rabbinical organization in North America. But it, there's rabbis in Germany and South Africa and Australia, New Zealand, all. So so really, like at the heights of my denomination, right? We don't have bishops, but that would have been what it was for a couple of years. So so. I was on a panel recently, uh, an international panel uh, with, a, with a rabbi from Germany, a rabbi from South America, a rabbi from Israel, and myself. All progressives, all welcoming of queer people. You know, one was also queer himself. You know, like, so it, this, it wasn't about queerness. One was referred to as rabbi last name, the second one, rabbi last name, the third one, rabbi last name, and I was referred to Rabbi Denise. Now, there really doesn't seem to be malicious intent in that. And it's unconscious, right? Women are supposed to be more approachable stereotype. Uh, women, but what the message is, is that they take the men seriously and the women, well, they don't take women seriously when you do that. Now, there are many clergy, both women, men, and non-binary who, who invite you to use Reverend first name. But as a matter of respect for the learning that, that one has had to do, Think about it before you talk to someone about if it's in a situation where titles are, are used or titles are important, do you use and the same respect that you use for a, for a man uh, as you do for a woman or a trans or non-binary, gender non-conforming person and make sure that you check yourself. This is one of the ways that we also smash the patriarchy yes. uh, as well. Yes, thank you for. I didn't know if you would be able to talk about that as as a personal like. It happens all. It happens all the time. It oh. happens all the time. And I always say, yeah, you want to call me Rabbi Denise, you have to be five or younger because a kindergarten, nursery school, okay. But if you're an adult, you mean when you go into your doctor's office, you know, unless you're on a first name basis with your doctor, do you use your female doctor's Doctor Sharon, uh, or do you use Doctor Smith? What you go? Um, can you speak to your interfaith efforts? You spoke about your friend Ani. You've spoken about your other um, Christian leaders who are progressive in their values and, and beliefs. Um, but I know specifically your your work with with Reverend Denise Barnes at Hollywood United Methodist. And um, I know on on each other's holy days, you kind of swap duties sometimes, don't you? Well, we we share we've shared pulpits. We exchange pulpits. We um, we uh, we learn together. We've been in classes together and and, and dialogue together. We we've, we've created a social justice opportunities together and we've our, our communities have done you know feed the homeless programs together uh, and the you know clothing collections together uh, listen interfaith work is really critical this if we've learned anything especially over the last four years uh, this country is so divided yeah. and one of the ways that we can work on that even that political division is to get to know people who are different than ourselves and that's one of the reasons interfaith work is so profound not because it's framed around politics but it's when we have different faiths and different beliefs and different assumptions about the world different cultures about how we were raised um, it's important to know your neighbor down the street who may be different than you and so um, i've always done a lot of interfaith work uh, Jews, Christians, Catholics, Islam, Buddhists, and I founded many years ago, it still work meets today, we called it back then the uh, LGBT interfaith clergy group, I think it's has a, it's used, it changed its num name to, you know, queer interfaith uh, group now. Uh, We've reclaimed that word. It yes, we have, we have. Right, you know, and I, and I, I, I kind of laugh about it. Uh, and I know that's the word we use now. But you know, like my, the people who are in their seven, late 70s and 80s in my congregation have a very hard time with that, because that was you hurled at them as a epithet, a demeaning epithet. So it is a generational issue. Um, uh, uh, but I think it's pretty accepted now to use that word. I hope it is. Uh, if I'm not using it right, 
Please tell me. No, I, I think so. And but, but we, you know, but, but a lot, but in the, but in the early nineties, we founded a group here in LA. I was uh, the first president and a founding president and uh, Reverend Dan Smith, who used to, who was uh, retired now, but he was at West Hollywood Presbyterian and then West Hollywood United Church of Christ for many years. Um, and, and I, and uh, Reverend Neil Thomas, who was served many years as the founder at, at founders mcc founders metropolitan community church he's now in dallas at the largest queer congregation in the world cathedral of hope um uh so we founded an organization to do interfaith dialogue within our own queer community and so we do it both within the queer community and the larger interfaith community it, it does help but particularly in times of crisis queer leaders within the church are the ones that are saving the religions the ones that are, I think, retaining the congregations, the ones that are teaching people to love harder, to think deeper. And to be more open. Yes. To open the tent wider um, to individual people's different experiences. I think that's what's, there's not one way to be a human being. Yeah. And even and like that, that idea of the open tent, you know, I, I was, you know, I was raised Southern Baptist and, and part of that evangelical Christianity is, the belief that only one way can be right. And so we have to demean others in order to to show that we are needed to them so that, that we then, you know, reinforce our own insecurity about our beliefs. But, uh, and that's one of the reasons I also love Reformed Judaism because it allows me to have this connection to the divine without looking at others saying, you're less than me. Right, and it is not based on bullying. Right. Right, at the end of the day, if you're not conforming, Right. There's a level of that, especially when you use it in a terrifying way to say, you know, God doesn't love you. Uh, you're not human. Right? Yeah. That, that's just bullying. Yep. So yep. Um, let alone violence and the violence happened and the abuse happened. So, you know, I, I'm I really it's really about acknowledging your human experience, your quest and thirst for the divine, for the holy, for the sacred, to ask meaning questions of meaning about what does my life mean and how will I how will I actualize that, asking deep, thoughtful questions, and then being in a community. Because one of the things that um, I think is the hardest part of, uh, and we've really learned this in the pandemic, is is being alone. Yeah being lonely and it is epidemic in our world. And, and, and when you're in sacred community with others, um, it can lift so much hurt and pain and grief and sorrow and also bring joy and laughter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, life is hard enough working every day, trying to make a living, paying your rent, uh, mortgage, um, navigating traffic. There's a lot of those things and there's not enough joy. And so I, I feel grateful to have a sacred community in which to celebrate. Not always all my best friends. My best friends aren't always a part of my sacred community. On the other hand, my interfaith work uh, helps me to understand the depths of somebody's different experience. Yeah. Uh, and that's really powerful. One of the things that I'm, I'm seeing, especially after I did my film Cognitive, is that religious trauma, no matter what age you are, seems to be the hardest trauma to, to reconcile because it comes from such a subtle abuse that you witnessed as a kid. And it's hard to even recognize that until you're an adult. And then you have less of an ability to really go back to those days and figure out you know, what was hurting, who told me what. And so where do you... What efforts is calling me, and you can talk about the church as well, because I know this church really does a lot for the queer community. Um, how, what do you say to someone like me, a queer 30-something adult um, who struggles constantly with, do I go back to this idea of religion or do I stay where I am because it's safer on this side? Right. Uh, well, I think, I think part of it is a journey of discovery. What do you what do you want? And I will tell you, we've had our numbers of people in our studying Judaism for the purposes of conversion and becoming Jewish has been huge. Um, this year, I have one of the largest groups of people ever because the people who have been so burned by their um, Christian um, uh, uh, evangelical often abuse. Um, and but yet they still are thirsty and hungry on an honest spiritual quest. Yeah. And so they're they're learning. Um, they may convert, they may not. Um, but I think when you ask deep questions about how do I make my life filled with meaning, uh, that's a door and an opportunity to explore. And whether it's Judaism or other religions, if it's not your own, and then to find out where there are queer people in. If you were in a particular faith tradition that you 
that was abusive to you. I, I certainly understand not going back to the abuser, but if there were things that you missed about, about it, not every church is that way. Mm-hmm. And there may be another tradition, another denomination that's meaningful. I know many of my Catholic friends who grew up in a Catholic uh, environment where they too felt that they uh, couldn't be gay or uh, or lesbian or were kicked out of their parish um, have found a home in the Episcopal Church because it's it's very similar in structure and in ritual. When and I went to the Episcopal Church, we called it the Diet Catholic. Yes, exactly. So so I know that they have found a spiritual home and nourishment in the Episcopal Church here in North America as a way to uh, fulfill those needs for their search for and quest for meaning and purpose and, and spiritual quest. I find it so interesting because it's, you know, the queer community, I find that there is such a, a desire for a spiritual connection but yet most of them are suffering so much from that spiritual trauma. And it's almost like there's an addiction to the abuse and that's why they still try to go back to the abuser. They wanna go back to the church where they love the choir singing, but yet that church may not welcome them. So I love that you, that going back to your idea of not just a space at the table, but making your own table. Making your own table. And it's so, you know, and, and to find, seek out religious leaders who will, take the time to listen to you and take the time to hear your story and your struggle and your pain and and be willing to work with you. I know like in our congregation, we offer um, this summer, we will offer a taste of Judaism, a three week class for people who would be, it's free. Uh, it starts July 25th, it runs three Sundays. If we can find more about it at kol-ami.org, that's K-O-L-A-M-I dot O-R-G uh, and look for the introduction to Judaism and learning sections, but it's a free free week course for people like if you are on a journey to heal and if you think maybe Judaism might be something you'd like to explore without any commitments, come and study with us. It's all online. We're not with. And so wherever your listeners are, uh, whether in the LA area or beyond, um, we will, we welcome you to come and learn more. But you're online as well. So can you tell us more about what Colomy offers? Because you have, I mean, you know, we didn't get into like addiction and recovery, but I think yeah. that is a major symptom of, of queer religion trauma. Um, and so, so you guys offer so yeah, much. Our, con- our congregation, uh, we, we're both, uh, we're, we're edging into being in person again, starting uh, for Pride Month, we'll be back in limited numbers in our parking lot and then hopefully soon being able to be indoors again. But we're, we're also always online. Our worship is online at 6.30 Pacific time on Friday nights on Facebook and YouTube or our website, kol-ami.org. But we run a ton of classes, everything from a Broadway showstoppers class. If you love musical theater and want to learn more about musical theater, we do that. Um, we, we, we do run serious classes about learning about uh, from the Bible each week and or, and or Talmud, Jewish ethics. Um, but we also have, we just ran a three-week class on on being uh, non-binary, gender non-conforming, and what is that, and how does that work, and what does that mean, and what does it mean Jewishly, and what does Judaism have to say about that, and did you know that in ancient Jewish writings, it talks about not just two genders, but six genders? Yep. So all of that's on the Kolomi YouTube channel. If you want to go learn more about the ways in which Judaism is really different than Christianity, um, you can check out our YouTube page, uh, uh, Congregation Colby in West Hollywood. What about some singles groups? You got any singles groups? We do. We have. We do. We have. We have groups. Uh, we have groups where people can meet others. And and in particular, if you're in the 20s and 30s cohort, if you're in that age group, we have an amazing thing called the Open Yad Project. Yad means hand in Hebrew, but it's a 20s and 30s group. They meet for social. They meet online for social. Um, they they have their own governance, meaning they have their own leadership council that plans the programs. Um, they And we're just starting to meet back in person. And so they're meeting back in person for a Pride Month, uh, a Saturday night event. Um, so uh, that's the Open Yad Project. We're on Instagram. We're on, uh, we have our website. Um, so please, uh, please try and connect with us. And it's a lot of social, great pe- meeting people from, of all types, gay, straight, trans, gender nonconforming, all together, uh, hanging out. That's fantastic. And just before we, we kind of wrap up, what are, um, you've told us about Colomia, where can we find you on social media? And also want you to plug your books. 
Yeah, no, I, I, my, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Denise Ager uh, or my profile page, Rabbi Denise L. Ager on uh, Facebook. I'm, uh, I'm also on Instagram. Uh, but our temple website also has a lot of my writings and uh, or my website, RabbiEger.com. You can see some of my reflections and writings there on a lot of queer stuff on that. Um, I, I want to be sure before we go to read something from my book because I was actually going to ask if as a way that. as a way to kind of celebrate pride, celebrate our queerness, celebrate spirituality, um, and I, I want to share this uh, as we uh, think about entering Pride Month. Um, it's a blessing for my LGBTQ ancestors. Um, you know, as queer people, we have our biological families. But we also have our families of choice, and that's our ancestors and elders of our queer community that, that did a lot for all of us to get here. This is written by a rabbinical student who is a conservative rabbinical student, conservative Jewish rabbinical student. And there is a prayer in Jewish tradition that recalls the matriarchs, patriarchs of Jewish tradition. So it's kind of based on that. You who fought to love, you who prayed to the same God I do, you who insisted on your dignity, even when the world said you had none, you who died of AIDS while fighting for a cure so that people like me might live, you who were shot in a massacre while on the dance floor, you who could not come out and held your secret until your dying day, you who were insulted, shamed, beaten, and brutalized, yet kept walking, you who contributed your fierceness, your originality, your art, and your voice to this world, I walk in your memory. I walk this path, smoothed and chartered by your sacrifice towards justice, towards holiness, and towards freedom. And so as we get celebrate pride this year, I hope that all of your listeners, Matt, and that you will take strength in knowing that we are better together as one stronger queer community, that we take the time to get to know one another and listen to one another, and that we support one another by healing our traumas and listening to each other's deep longings of our soul and spirits and bringing more of that kindness to each other and the world. Yes. And just so you guys know, that's where pride dwells. And I'll have that posted as well. Yeah, it's Mich where pride dwells. It's available at pride.ccarpress.org. Or on Amazon. It's, or it's available at pride.ccarpress.org or on Amazon.com. I love your female Jewish queer voice. I just, everything you say, I'm just, I mean, you can see me, but the audience can't. But I'm just like enamored by you because you just <laughs> provide a message that I think I desperately wanted growing up in the Christian tradition and never got. So thank you so much for providing that for me. And I know for my listeners, um, is there any, uh, I'm, I did not see a prayer for the queer podcast in here or a blessing for the <laughs> queer podcast, but maybe next edition, but is there anything? Well, here's what we say, here's what we say in Hebrew when we end reading one of the books of the Torah. Chazak, chazak v'nit chasek. Be strong, be strong and be strengthened. So we're strengthened by your dedication, Matt, to bringing, you know, healing through uh, through this podcast to so many people and enlightenment to so many people. Friends, if you're queer, if you're gay, if you're lesbian, if you're bi, if you're pansexual, if you're asexual, if you're transgender, if you're non-binary and not gender non-conforming, let me just tell you, you are loved. You're loved by the force that created the world and the universe, and you are perfect as you are, and God wants to bless you and let us together heal us of our traumas to create the world we want. Amen and hallelujah. I love that. That's such a great way to end this. And as you guys can tell, um, if religion is to be saved, it is going to be done through the queer voices in religion. Amen. Um, I love you all. Thank you for listening. Um, and please reach out uh, to Colomy's website to see what all they have to offer our community. We'll see you next time. The Fagnostic Podcast is a Matt Hayes production hosted by, you guessed it, Matt Hayes. You can find me at matthayes.com. That's M-A-T-H-A-Y-E-S.com. Or on all the socials at Hayes on it. H-A-Y-E-S on it. Music by Michael Spicer. The Fagnostic Podcast is proud to be supported by the Del Shore Studio. Whether you're acting from a pulpit or a proscenium, whether you're writing for a Bible study or a scene study, the Del Shore Studio is an online school offering classes and workshops encouraging all artists to scratch deeper. Visit thedelshorestudio.com for more information.